Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Everyone is always looking for the next big thing. It's what we get asked about all the time in this industry. And often the greatest growth is in areas that are extremely tangible and accessible to everyone. We've all seen the rise of tech and the major tech firms in the US, for example, you have an Apple phone in your pocket, you watch Netflix. It's really easy to see how substantial the growth is in some of these areas. But there are others that are targeted to a fairly specific demographic. And if you're not in that demographic, it's pretty easy to dismiss the magnitude of what's been happening. Today, I'm joined by Damon Gosen from Van Eck to talk about esports and why it's really, really big business. Damon, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Gemma. It's great to be here. So I will start by saying you're in lockdown in Melbourne at the moment. I'm so sorry. But I do wonder whether maybe this is the right topic for a whole lot of people who can't leave their houses at the moment. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, I, I, can't, I can't say that's been a huge focus of ours, more getting getting through the day-to-day grind with kids and everything at the moment. So I haven't had a great chance to be doing too much of video gaming myself, but it is the perfect environment for it, I believe. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to start with the disclaimer that I am not a gamer and have basically no exposure to this world at all. But my son and all his primary school friends have declared that when they grow up, their dream job is to become a video game designer. What's your experience with it? Have you had a lot of exposure to this? Well, when I was much younger, and I'll, I'll give away my kind of uh, age here, so I'm, I'm almost turning 40. So when I was um, when I was eight years old, I, I took uh, possession of one of the original Nintendo Entertainment Systems. So this is one of the, the, the cartridges you push in, you press down, you play games like Super Mario Brothers, Tiger Heli, Galaga, all those sorts of things. And I, um, uh, alas, it didn't lead to the sorts of multi-million dollar um, paychecks that kids these days can make with their video gaming. Um, but I still have that Nintendo. One of my great, uh, one, one of the things I'm going to lament coming out of lockdown later this week, hopefully, is that I didn't dust it off through the lockdown to actually play some of those games. So I, I do um, I, I do have a, a five-year-old boy uh, he's not quite at the stage of this, but his older friends and cousins are playing games. The Roblox vouchers for birthday presents are super popular. Um, for, for me, I download a few games, probably some of the more, I guess, mentally challenging games um, on my iPhone. That's probably the extent of it for me. I'm playing one at the moment, which is a Sudoku block puzzle, which sounds very exciting, but it's um, surprisingly addictive. So we've both started by going, this is not... Not entirely our universe. We're not spending hours a day on this. But you've already alluded to the fact that people are making millions of dollars out of this as a profession, for want of a better word. It's just a universe if you haven't, haven't kind of opened the door that can be unbelievably astonishing, like just incredible how, how huge it is and how it takes over people's lives and how much money there is sloshing around. Can you talk us through what esports actually are and what the industry encapsulates, like what's in it? Yeah, sure. So I guess if you're looking for a definition for esports, what you'd say is that it's the professional or say semi-professional uh, competitive video gaming. So there's, a, there's an organised format, so whether it's a, a tournament or, a, or an actual like a professional league, um, 
there, there'll be a goal in place or a prize. So the, the goal might be to win a, win a championship or win a very, very large uh, prize purse as well. So there's, there's plenty of money involved in it. Um, in terms of the, I guess, the breadth of the broader industry from a commercial perspective. So it's not just the actual video gaming and, and playing the games. Um, if, you, if you look at the underlying sectors within the industry, you've got the console makers. Um, there's the semiconductors, which are a very important part of the actual technology development, um, the developers, the technology platforms, uh, believe it or not, like venues and teams, stadiums for esports, e uh, the streaming. So you've got the TV and the media rights, the media companies uh, that, that will um, will have licensing rights. So it's a, it's a very broad area, much like professional regular sports are as well in terms of, I guess, the, uh, the, the, the value chain, so to speak. So for regular people who are listening to you say stadiums and TV rights. <laughs> Can you talk about the magnitude of it? I just, it is so eye-watering if you've not seen it. The idea that a stadium could be packed out so you can watch someone play video games and also how that works. Yes, yeah, so it's, um, <laughs> you're spot on. The numbers are staggering and probably to, to put it in perspective a, a little bit. So you, you can, I can throw out a headline number to say, look, there's 3 billion active video gamers uh, on the planet. And as a backdrop, that compares to, so you, you mentioned Netflix at the start, there's 200 million Netflix subscribers. There's 1.5 billion people with an Apple device. There's 2 billion Facebook users. So when you actually use that as your kind of, I guess, your benchmark there, these are incredibly popular businesses and services and, and, and products out there. Three billion, three billion gamers, that is enormous. Um, when you get into esports, the actual audience numbers are, are in excess of half a billion people. Um, so that's watching either online or watching in stadiums. That's happening a great deal right now. Um, as well, so the, the, the video gaming and esports industry now is actually bigger than vi videos and music combined. Um, the the growth has been well and truly in place for um, for many years. So obviously, video games started getting developed back in the in the nineteen seventies, but just in the last half decade or so, video gaming revenue increased at a rate of. Uh, 12, 13% per annum. Um, Esports revenue likewise has, has tripled over the last few years. Crowd numbers are, are growing enormous, uh, enormously as well. And like to, to your question on, on, on crowds and how that actually works. So there was a, a uh, in 2019, the Fortnite, so one of the most famous games, Fortnite World Cup, that was played in front of a 23,000 strong uh, crowd at Arthur Ashe Stadium in Queens. So that's the, the tennis stadium, so where the US Open is held. And so there was a huge prize pool there um, and uh, the, the, the winner took away a few million dollars. So more than the winner of, U, of the US Open as well to, uh, to put that into context. It feels a little bit like the mainstream media has completely missed this. I know that sounds really odd. I wouldn't anticipate seeing esports in the sports pages, which are, you know, here dominated by AFL and rugby league and so on. But it, it's, it is that level of engagement. I remember doing a, uh, a news update, effectively a Sky Business update 
years ago, probably four or five years ago, when I want to say the latest Call of Duty was released. I think it was Call of Duty. Uh, And it was the same weekend that the latest Thor movie had been released. And the comparison of how many had participated in watching slash playing those two things. And it was a magnitude of like three or four times more were engaging with Call of Duty than the Thor movie. We talk about the opening weekend for, you know, the biggest movie of the year, but the opening weekend for the biggest game of the year is next level compared to that. That's absolutely the case. So all those comparisons are made against, I guess, blockbuster films or audience sizes for, for professional sports. So the, 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 the figure that we use a lot is that esports as a, has an audience that's actually larger than the whole NFL, so the American football um league as well which is just which would come as a huge surprise to so many people out there yeah i think what's so surprising is it you know this is not kids playing games anymore with their friends and you know this idea of connectedness and so on it is a global phenomenon and and the idea of spectators, I think we all get the idea of playing games. That makes perfect sense and a lot of us have had an experience of that in some way or another. But the idea of spectators watching other people playing games is amazing. So what have been the big drivers for this shift from, you know, individual participation and, uh, you know, your kids playing on a Game Boy or whatever it might be to this sort of concept of a global sporting phenomenon? Well, the... the the short and easy answer would be it's the technology um, that's underpinned it. So the growth has come about as telecommunications and wireless technology has improved. And, and that's that's absolutely true. Um, the, the, the actual kind of, I guess, nerdy, business journal-y, textbook-y type of answer, though, is it all comes down to, like, to disruptive innovation. And so when, when we talk about disruptive innovation, we're actually talking about creating a new market foothold or creating a new market where nothing existed beforehand. So when you when you think of the whole video game esports world, you can actually say, well, look, no one expected games on, on phones when video games first came about decades ago, but revenue there is now exceeding $100 billion dollars. Um, Nintendo with their Wii they created a market for older people to use video games um, as the actual technology there to exercise so that's kind of what we would talk about to say look disruptive innovations don't catch on with mainstream customers until the quality catches up to their standards and thinking about the history of video gaming and esports at an earlier phase this growth has come about as the telecommunications or wireless technology has improved and and now smartphone phone game um, gameplay that's been improved by 4g and 5g technology and so, so as the technology has improved so too has the has the dis, um, has the disruption um, that's that's why we actually think because video gaming and esports have created new markets over a period of many decades um, that this 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 is going to continue to happen as technology continues to actually ex- improve that experience for users. So there's a lot of uh, technology-driven fields where there's been astonishing growth. The audience numbers are incredible. 
Uh, the monetization is more complex. So you, you, know, you think about Facebook and you know, 2 billion users, but really they make money out of selling ads and, and plenty of other examples and plenty of them that are loss making. And as Uber like to tell everybody in their perspectives, we'll be loss making forevermore. Um, and yet the revenues in this seem to be amazing, absolutely amazing. I, I'm telling this anecdote and uh, and I don't believe it will identify anyone, but a, uh, a local-ish uh, premium car dealer was telling the story recently that he sold two top-end cars uh, with a combined value of $1.5 million to one individual who was under 30, he's a 20-something guy who had made all of his money out of playing games and had bought this incredible premium car for himself and then one for his dad to say thank you for getting him into gaming. So you're talking about the prize money being incredible. Where are they getting the revenues from for this stuff? So it's, it's really, really broad, that actual revenue um, revenue side of things. And, and yes, yes, there's a staggering growth story behind it, like I've said, said before in terms of numbers and, and crowd numbers and, and the like. But if you kind of think about the world of video gaming, um, once upon a time, once once a company had made the sale, i.e. Um, put, put your coin in the slot or, or even just buy a console and a game, you can't really continue to generate income from, from customers. And so, but mobile technology, internet technology now allows for that in-game, in-game purchases, which is a big part of the revenue makeup. And so if you, if you compare uh, the revenue sources from video gaming to the actual esports. So video gaming is a broad industry there's uh, about $175 billion of, of revenue, that's US dollars there. So um, not quite a third of that is smartphone games. Um, I just men- mentioned there about, I guess, the in- in-game purchases. I know I'm uh, I'm hounded like on any of the uh, smartphone uh, uh, games that I download to, to click here to buy this or to whatever um, as well. So you've got smartphone games, you've got the actual downloaded games, which is a huge chunk of the industry, um, browser games, consoles, tablets, uh, and the like. Um, when you turn over into esports, it actually looks similar to what you'd see in professional sports. So sponsorship makes up a big chunk. So about 60% of revenue coming is coming from sponsors. So and it sounds potentially far-fetched to some listeners, but um, certain companies going, we want to be affiliated with this particular team and, and therefore we're going to pay a lot of money to sponsor that team. Um, media rights, publisher fees, merchandise and, and tickets as well. So the, the, the streaming. So there's, there is multiple revenue channels um, and they're all growing. Um, the, the actual revenue there has been strong year on year. So to, to, the, to the order of 25 plus percent um, since uh, since 2015. I find that really interesting because it feels intuitively like this is an area which is more likely to be profitable than a lot of other areas of tech where you've got astonishing levels of engagement but it's quite difficult to turn a profit. People might use your product 100 times a day like Facebook um, but may never click on an ad that you serve them and you may not get enough revenue to really cover the cost of the service that you're providing them. So this one seems uh, a little more obvious, although you said two things that I find really interesting and knew nothing about, keep revealing my ignorance. Um, so teams, people play in teams. Yeah, 
yeah, that, that, that's right. There's, there's, there's all sorts of things in here. Like if you, you'd spend a long time talking about all the things people didn't understand. Yeah, there's, there's teams, there's university scholarships. I think the Q, Queensland University of, university of Technology, they offered an a, a esports scholarship. <laughs> I, think that was, I think it was this year or it was to start in 2020 or 2021, but it was five or $10,000. Like, there's, um, yeah, there's government support to build video gaming stadiums in parts of the world as well. Like there's, there's a whole, whole, whole facet of things that you wouldn't think were possible, but uh, are very much, um, very much happening. So my next question was, who are the big players in this space? But I was just thinking, I imagine the celebrities as well as the celebrities in esports. It's like sort of influences, I guess. Maybe that's a better word. Yeah, there's there's celebrities that drive it that are that are helping from a um, from an advertising perspective to get people over there. But there's also the elite players as well that have got cult followings as, as well. So yeah, there's there's a sense of celebrity in in this industry like there is with um, professional sports, with media, with uh, with movies, with music. Oh, it's just fascinating. So when I was going to ask who are the big players, what I meant were in terms of the company. So you guys have an ETF. Uh, called ESPO, uh, which is how we came to be talking about this topic. And it's just so interesting that something like an ETF would be focused in such uh, a field that feels niche if you don't know anything about it, but it's absolutely enormous once you've got a bit of an understanding. So the kinds of companies that comprise an ETF in the esports field, are they the sorts of companies investors would have heard of? Yeah, there are. And I'm happy to give more details on on, on the ETF itself, but there's, there's maybe, maybe if I give a few examples of some of the the, the bigger holdings in the in the portfolio. So uh, there's there's Tencent, Nintendo, Activision, Blizzard. So just just to kind of like Nintendo hardly needs an introduction. Um, but probably one thing that I'd probably say that is actually pretty uh, pretty interesting on that is I guess on the video gaming side uh, side, some the industry sometimes comes under fire for. For, for some social reasons or whether it's violence or in, in games or, or time spent playing slash addiction and, and, and the like. Um, in, in, in a world, I guess, that's rightly focused on that more sustainable side, N- Nintendo is a company that's doing the right thing. Um, a key objective and core philosophy of Nintendo's products is to, is to create fun for everyone. So I gave the example before of um, older people using the Nintendo Wii for exercise reasons. A lot of the games are meant to be very much family-friendly games um, for all ages, all genders and and the like. So, yeah, Nintendo is one of the bigger holdings in there. Tencent is the biggest holding in there. It's the biggest, uh, it's a top game publisher by revenue. It's a multifaceted investment holding company. So it's a um, Chinese-based company, online gaming revenue of... uh, in excess of $20 billion um, uh, in, in the last couple of years there, um, more than a tenfold increase in 10 years. So enormous, uh, enormous growth in there. Tencent has some of the popular games like League of Legends, Fortnite, Clash of Clans um, as well. Activision, Blizzard, I mentioned that one. That's another company that's responsible for some of the most memorable um, games so Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Guitar Hero, Candy Crush um, as well. So th- these are big companies and a lot of what sits under the hood of, of our ETF, uh, ESPO, that's an ASX code, um, yeah, will be familiar names. That's really interesting because a lot of people would 
not automatically associate Tencent with esports. Uh, it may not be front of mind anyway. And it does come to my next question because I was wondering about the geographic elements of it, whether, you know, because we've seen something of a bifurcation in the tech field where you've got sort of the massive Chinese tech firms with Alibaba and Tencent and so on. And then you've got the US-based tech firms. And frankly, between the two of them, they kind of cover the entire <laughs> the entire globe. Do Chinese gamers want to play the same sorts of games and the same and engage in the same competitions as Western gamers? Is it quite universal or is it a little bit more uh sort of separated? No, it's, it, it is it is pretty universal. I, I think what, what what you'd say is the actual evolution of video gaming does differ region to region. So like when video games started coming out back in the 1970s, you wouldn't find uh, uh, many people in China or other emerging markets are owning those consoles. So you don't, you, I guess there's, there's not big chunk, chunks of the Chinese population that really reminisce about the Atari or the Commodore 64. Um, a lot of those, the, the, the people in those, because that's the biggest gaming um, country in the world now, China, a lot of the Chinese people playing video games, they had their first experience on a smartphone or perhaps watching uh, people play video games on YouTube or um, and, and getting, I guess, video gaming and esports becoming intertwined with their life. But, but to the actual extent, the evolution there has diff differed to a large extent, it's pretty universal now. So like a good example would be the 2020 League of Legends World Championship. So League of Legends, that's an American video game. Um, and the World Championship was played in Shanghai. Um, so there's, there is a lot of crossover there. There's big companies that focus on adapting or converting games to Chinese ver um, versions. One of the big holdings in our ETF NetEase, they develop and operate online um, PC and mobile games, and they're a Chinese company. Um, and they partner with Blizzard Entertainment to operate Chinese versions of their games, such as World of Warcraft, Starcraft, and, and, and Overwatch. So yeah, there's there's a lot of crossover um, but between countries. That's really interesting. Do you have a feel for what are going to be the major drivers of growth in this field? I mean, it's it's already astonishingly large. Are there technological or other developments that you feel are going to be even more beneficial, even bigger tailwinds? Um, I, I think the tailwinds are very strong. It's a, it's a in, in any event, um, it has been an industry that has has developed off the back of con, of continuing technological development, and, and so. And insofar as the technological development continues, then um, by extension, this is a space that will continue to get um, to get bigger. The, the the social element of it, I think, is what's driving a lot of that growth. And um, with the actual video gaming social networks in there being a place for younger people to com communicate as um, as well, that's a really big, I guess, um, part of the growth in industry. And I think um, like I, I heard an anecdote uh, of my own today, uh, which, which given we were going to be doing this, um, this session made me start thinking, and this was a, um, this was a story about, so this wasn't video games. This was, uh, 
magic cards and someone, and I've never even heard of magic cards, but things like Dungeons and Dragons and everything. And, his, uh, and there's a whole world of people trading these cards, which are worth millions of dollars, making huge money there. And really they started collecting back when they were, they were kids and younger people and now they have the money and there's the rarity as well. So I think you're capturing an enormous population and as that population grows older and gets uh, gets wealthier and has higher disposable incomes, there's, I guess, additional ways in which, and this is a big part of their life and embedded within their life, um, there is additional opportunities for the monetization to be um, much higher. That's really interesting. I um, There's an executive I knew, still though, um, incredibly brilliant and talented guy who had three sons and um, his wife would tell the story that whenever he was very stressed, he would go and play on the kids' Xbox for quite a while and that would be his way of sort of dealing with the stress of the day from the complex decisions he'd been making and so on. So uh, clearly people grow with this stuff as kids were sort of, I don't know, that's a great excuse. I'm going to have to use that. <laughs> I think his kids were like 10, 12 and 14 or something. And he'd be like, get out, I'm having a go. on a regular basis from now on, I think. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier Nintendo working uh, on the sustainability side but also perhaps making the field somewhat more equitable. When you said 3 billion people are gamers, I was like, I would guess that about 95% of those are male. Um but I speak from my own personal experience, perhaps. I don't know a lot of female gamers. I think they're a much smaller proportion, obviously. Are there any obvious impediments to the potential growth of the field? You also sort of alluded to the addictive nature of a lot of this stuff. And I know in China there have been real concerns about people you know, gaming for days on end and not eating and not leaving their rooms and so on and concerns. Does any of that look like a major risk? I don't think it's necessarily a, a major risk. It seems like a fairly obvious thing to have some just general general concerns about in terms of consumption of of, of anything and over consuming. So I don't think this is a this isn't a an industry that's only going to benefit from over consumption um, in there. So that there are there's there's there are some some risks. They've named a couple of them. The like. That, that kind of bullish case aside, like it's, it's that's really obvious. The, the huge numbers, the big revenue growth, people enjoy it, facilitated by technology, and that technology is always improving. So that, that's that's all kind of, I guess, pretty clear. Um, I guess given how big that industry has become, so with with how big the money is, um, cheating, uh, cybercrime, that could be an issue. So if if you had a hacking threat um, or, a, or a hacking event that would not only reduce the revenue, but could tarnish the reputation. Given given prize money involved, there's temptations to to, to cheat. So I know that there's a uh, the, this this is uh, people actually being able to download the actual cheats um, as, as well. So that could be that could do some brand damage. Um, but is that any different to any other sporting business? And I would say no. So th- these are these are risks within it and they will inevitably flare up from time to time but but in, in in no way i would say that is any different to anything else yeah the interesting ones you've raised although i think yeah, cybersecurity is a challenge for anything that is tech enabled including oil pipelines at the moment so uh perhaps not unique to this field 
No, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely not. But it's yeah, oil pipelines, beef, in, in like so many businesses that are um, under threat from that. Yeah, the exposure is extraordinary. I work for a bank, and uh, it's certainly something that we worry about all the time and invest a lot of time and money in trying to uh, trying to mitigate as a risk. But it's certainly uh, it's certainly not unique <laughs> to esports or video games. That's for sure. So, Vanek, you guys have an ETF that covers some of the big players in this field, and there's an ETF for the most unusual things now. It's um, this one just fascinates me. I think it's amazing. How do we investors find out more about it? So I'm going to give them a, a very quick overview now, um, and then there's heaps of information on on our website as as well. Um, but yeah, the ETF you're talking about, our Vanek Vectors Video Gaming and Esports ETF. Um, so ASX Code we've been mentioned a few times. ESPO, ESPO. Um, it, it's been enormously popular um, for us here and and actually globally. So we, we listed it on ASX back in um, September 2020. Uh, we've it's taken over $100 million in terms of fund flows. Um, but we've had it globally for a few years now. Um, and there's about $2.5 billion invested as per that, that strategy um, globally, whether it's uh, individual investors, uh, a big chunk of it has been institutional investors that like the, like the thematic um, being, for the reasons we probably discussed a little bit today, but also see it as, hey, here's a really easy and efficient way of getting exposure in a diversified way to that thematic. So ESPO gives investors exposure to a diversified portfolio of the largest and most liquid companies in video game development. Well, if you go to our website, so vanek.com.au, uh, which would always encourage uh, investors to do before making a, any kind of decision like this, you'll you'll see the term pure play. And by pure play, we mean a company has to, this has to be their bread and butter. So 50% of the revenue has to come from video gaming or, or, or esports as well. So you won't find Microsoft, even though it's got the Xbox, you won't find Sony, even though it's got the PlayStation, they're pretty minor parts of the overall, overall revenue there. So there's 25 holdings um, and it's just a super easy way of getting really well diversified exposure to this um, structural theme. So yeah, like I said, a ton of material on our website. Um, so vanek.com.au. Damon from Vanek, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Gemma. Thank you so much for listening. Also, as always, we love hearing from you. We've received some awesome feedback and we love getting your questions. So please just email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au and I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.